Howdy, folks. How are y'all doing out there? Welcome to another installment of Free Market Screen Earth. This is going to actually be a bonus episode because I am way behind on doing editing, and we have a great episode coming up that I just haven't gotten to yet. So, in lieu of that, hopefully you really like me and Ben talking about Planet of the Humans, that terrible Michael Moore movie, and you wanted to hear me talk about it more. So this is actually an episode I did of the Scottish Liberty podcast that we are giving to you. So if you like what you hear, go check them out. They're a bunch of swell guys, and it was a lot of fun to record. And that aside, I promise that I will have the episodes ready ASAP. Booyakasha, as was popular to say in the late 90s. Uh, we yeah. have episode 153 of the Scottish Liberty podcast. We're going to talk about Michael Moore's documentary, Planet of the Hubris. I mean, humans. And here to discuss that with Tam and I is the fantastic Nick Picon. He is the co-host of Free Markets Green Earth, the only, the biggest, if not the only, um, free market orientated show on environmentalism. And he originally contacted me to say, hey, have you checked out this movie? And I said, well, I better check that out. And then, did Tam, did you listen to it after I mentioned it on Sunday? Or had you yeah, I think I watched it on either Sunday evening. I think it was Sunday evening, Sunday night, possibly Monday morning at some time. But yeah, I, I watched it. Um, and the, the first thing I'll say about it is I, I thought it had a pretty cool soundtrack. All right, okay, yeah. You had King Crimson on there. You had uh, even Black Sabbath at one point. Um, There was a whole lot of kind of ambient, kind of spacey stuff going on. thought I heard some Tangerine Dream in there at one point, but I could be wrong. So that was pretty cool. I thought it was a well-made documentary. Um, I enjoyed it. It done all the things that a Michael Moore documentary done. You know, it pushed all, all the buttons. How accurate it was was another thing. I mean, I... The thing that struck me is that I thought, well, these are things, these are all things that, you know, th- these guys are late to the party on this because this, these are things that people on our side of the spectrum, if you could call it that. Um, the autistic spectrum. Yeah, all <laughs> spectrums. Um, and uh, the spectrum spectrum. And we've been banging on about this shit for the last 20 to 30 years and pointing out continually what a giant uh, waste of money some, uh, if not most, of these uh, sort of green energy projects are. But as it turns out, some of the stuff he was pointing out was just that. It was like 20 years maybe out of mm. date. Um, but we were, we were banging on about it years ago. We're still going on about it. But the lefties are now just some of some of them on the left, and including Michael Moore, apparently, is uh, has just cottoned onto this and has. Uh... So there were some good points. The bad points for me were it was it, it seemed intensely anti-human. So that element is still there, and of course, it wouldn't be a Michael Moore-backed documentary if it wasn't completely anti-capitalist as well. Although it did kind of make a distinction. In there, it did mention a kind of capitalism, which was, uh, you know, corporate, mm. sort of corporatism. That's what it was hinting at. Uh, I was hearing some left-wing critics of the movie criticise it for not being anti-capitalist enough. Right. Nikki P, welcome to the show. 
What made you reach out and tell me to watch this documentary? Well, uh, for me, I was I was actually uh, incredibly as a guy who hosts an environmentalist podcast. It, it, it struck me on a couple levels. Uh, I, I think my my general feelings about it. I was I'm, I'm excited about it, and the reason I'm excited about it is actually for all the reasons that most of us hate it. Right. It is. It is absolutely one hundred percent anti-human. Um, the the technology and like some of the issues it talks about are probably more like five or six years old, which is the one criticism that a lot of the left has okay. on it. But the actual problem is that yes, yeah, so it's about five or six years old, but all of the premise still stands. Like those technologies are maybe a little bit better, but we're talking like. 20 or 30% efficiency is better, not, not 95 to 100% where they're still feasible. Right. Um, and while you mentioned the economic impact of those technologies, I mean, as, as a, a card-carrying environmentalist, like the thing that actually bothers me more is less the, that they're expensive than they're horrible for the fucking environment. Sorry. <laughs> no, sorry. We can, yeah. you, you can, you can, you can curse swear as much as you fucking want. On this program. Okay. Um, I'm not used to being a judge. Hey, I don't, I'm not allowed to. So that <laughs> would have been weird. But the, the fact of the matter is, it's like all those technologies are awful for the environment. Like, well, even if they weren't more expensive, like they generally use the same fossil fuels as the movie points out. But the mining that we do, the rare earth minerals to create the batteries for any of like for any of those technologies is just catastrophic to the planet. Like I have odd feelings about the fact that my cell phone has to use those things, let alone the fact that like we we'd have to have extra giant ones to use any of those technologies. You know what does that do to like? If you I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of a rare earth mine in China where they get the 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 materials to make the uh, make those batteries but literally it looks like mordor mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but, the uh, most awful place on earth in fairness nick just to, to put the counter claim i mean most of the environmentalists who criticized the movie uh have said well look you know that's that's a price you pay with fossil fuel technology as well if you build an oil refinery or you build a gas uh, natural gas installation you're still causing a carbon footprint. You're still creating, uh, you're still using steel. You're still using all sorts of uh, products that you have to mine. Or Absolutely to, right. Yeah, so so the, the, the initial costs are still there with fossil fuels, but the bonus, they say, with this is that once it's created, then the carbon footprint's considerably lower. Well, but that's that's actually wrong because okay. I still have the I, I still have the carbon from the fossil fuels that doesn't go away. Yeah, but then I have the carbon from that, plus the rare earth mining, plus the horrible disposal because none of the things are efficient enough to use more than twenty years, and then I'm left with all of this crap. I've then got to bury in the desert. So like, right. you're not the problem is that you're not getting away from the carbon in the first place. Like you're still okay. using that plus all the other stuff. Like it's just you're, you're stacking and people don't don't realize that. Um, the the thing that I absolutely loved about it is because, like you said, guys like us, we've been pointing this out for years. Like it's you, people, I think we're sold the false bill of goods. And I, as someone who's a former lefty, I get that. 
So watching what, what we consider, obviously, with the premise of this, a hardcore leftist kind of have a come to Jesus moment and realize that they, that happened. That is yeah. incredibly important to me. Now, the thing that I actually think is probably better for us than for them is that how hardcore this person is, I think that anyone who's on the fence about technology like this, they're going to come out and see that this movie created by a guy who's alternative is, well, we should just scrap this whole humanity project. I don't think people are ready for the let's scrap the humanity project. Yeah. And so as opposed to pushing more people to the left, I see I see more people who and you know what, if this is the case, maybe those guys weren't so wrong on the other side. Because they don't like if it was like a a small jump to for his logic that maybe he might have like a better premise, but it's not. It's a huge leap to well, these particular technologies don't work right now, so let's just wipe out humanity. We clearly that opening line where like he, he had that question he asks when it actually shifts the movie from the interview or he's interviewing people about it. I can't remember mm-hmm. the specific line, but he, he basically just asked the question, you know, maybe our time is up. Should we just, you know, kill ourselves as a as a species? <laughs> and I, I just I stopped the movie the first time I watched it going did he really just ask that question? Is that, is that something a sane person, a rational human being can ask? Mm. And like, I, I put, put the movie down and I, I messaged, like I wasn't, I wasn't even going to finish the documentary. I'm like, Oh my God. Like that's, that's an insane thing to say. And then my partner's like, Hey, I started it. Are you watching this? I'm like, I wasn't going to, but like, okay. <laughs> right. Right. Um, it's, yeah, I think one of the things the critics of the movie got right was that it seems to offer no solutions and it just hints very strongly at um, wiping a bunch of us out. Let me just ask you a couple of questions. Um, mm-hmm. There's quite a few articles claiming that one of the, one of their major gaffes was they went and talked about a solar panel in Australia which, oh, they were so proud of, but that only had this 8% inefficiency figure. And even the guy that was meant to be championing this was like really honest and frank about how um, how it could barely electrify, electrify. <laughs> it could barely power any houses. Easy for me to say. Um, Wasn't it like but, 32 houses in a year? Yeah, yeah it was something ridiculous supposed like to be 100? That. A lot of the, the articles are criticizing that saying solar panels now installed in more than 2 million American roofs typically operate at 15 to 20% efficiency. So that's like at least double. Do you, can you comment on that? Well, can I just, just before uh, and Nick comes back, can, can, I, can, I, can I just add something quickly to that? Um, as far as I read, there's a claim that um, it's, solar panels take more energy to produce than they Okay. It says here uh, that this is just one website. Um, God damn it, where are we? Yeah, the film claims green energy is not replacing fossil fuels and the coal plants cannot be replaced by renewables. To disprove this claim, we need to look no further than Australia, where wind turbines and solar panels have significantly reduced their dependence on coal. In South Australia, for example, the expansion of solar and wind has led to the closure of all coal-fired power stations. The state now gets most of its power from solar and wind, exporting its surplus to Victoria when its old coal-fired power stations prove unreliable on hot summer days. What's more, 
A report released this week by the Australian energy market operator IAMO said with the right regulations, renewables could at times supply 75% of electricity in the national electricity market by 2025. That's the claim made by that. This is called theconversation.com. And that's a hell of a claim, <laughs> right? Okay. You know, I can I I I can say pretty much anything. Uh, yeah, we got we got another five years. We I'm sure it's like those people. We're we're definitely gonna have a uh, right. a vaccine for the COVID and by December. You know. Okay. You know, on an untested technology that's never worked before on a type of virus that's never worked before. I you can throw word salad at the wall and make anything stick if you wanted to. I guess the fact of the matter is is. So even at seventy five percent efficient, or seventy five percent of the the uh, energy that it did before, okay. So you're at seventy five percent of the, inter- the 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 energy before, then you still haven't hit the energy demands of your own nation. So what what is the point you're trying to make? And even if that's the case, at what cost? You know, it's one thing mm-hmm. for us here in the first world to sit there and say well, we're willing to take it on the chin and make our energy you know less efficient more costly right but i can't think of a single thing that anyone could say that's more racist or bigoted towards other nations of the world that don't have that luxury sure you and me can probably spend a little bit more and you know maybe tighten our belts to pay for energy but africa and china sure as hell can't so how in how how insensitive to is it to us as people just completely overlook those nations when we have to think about well what can people pay for energy so do we now just have to you know say well those countries can use fossil fuels because they need to so they can get to where we are well china's a gigantic emerging population and and most uh first world countries have kind of we're we're already moving in the, the the direction that we're supposed to be moving because we care about this stuff yeah but th- their population's huge. If you just ignore them when we're talking about this, what's the point in like doing that to any of our other nations? So we're crippling every first world industrialized nation so that China can <laughs> take advantage of all of us. Like they're not pumping any less carbon in the world. That's not going to happen yeah. anytime soon. Yeah. So it, it's it's just very frustrating to see how <sighs> the the ways that people think about it. Yeah. Like I said, just point out the fact. Okay, so 75% of the energy, which means you're still going to need to find 25% somewhere or you're changing the way your people live. Right. So, yeah. And the, the, I mean, obviously, what that article doesn't say, as we are mentioned, is how much it's being subsidized. And I, I, I thought that was, there was a, a key moment for me in the film. I mean, I, I thought the movie, on balance, was good in the sense that we can go on as much as we like about this stuff and nobody really on the left or who's into this kind of stuff is listening. If this makes, you know, at least some of the people on that side of the, of the divide, if we can call it that, start listening because Mike, you know, it's that only Nixon could go to China thing. The very fact that Michael Moore has these leftist credentials may make some people actually set up and take note and i think it's a win-win for us in a exactly sense that, okay, yeah if 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 it's if the film is in in the best part true then th- that's good for us if the film is extremely inaccurate and full of inaccuracies and you know overblown and sort of uh, convoluted uh and contrived then that only goes to show 
what we've been saying about Michael Moore <laughs> for the last <laughs> 20 years as well. So it's kind of a it's kind of a win-win. There was a key moment in the, the movie for me where he inter- where he interviewed one uh looked like an Indian woman. Uh when I say Indian, I mean South Asian. And she was said she highlighted the subsidies. She went, every single one of these industries that are doing supposedly well are being massively subsidized uh with state money. And that's well, what's given them the veneer, at least, of success. Well, and that's that's not beyond me, I'll tell you that much. When, when you're watching the movie, I'm thinking about, uh, I remember when I was in electrical school, we went and we actually looked at one of those wind turbines, which, by the way, are really cool things inside. Um, but one of the things that we talked about was the economics of it. Yeah. And the economics of it worked because more than 50% of it was subsidized by the government to be there. Otherwise, it wouldn't make enough electricity to warrant its cost. So the big thing, and I'm curious if you guys noticed this, because there was more than what the movie talked about was the glaring omission of what the movie didn't talk about. Right. And when it comes to renewable energies, it seemed odd to me. They kept focusing on these three major ones. They focused on biochar, or sorry, um, bio... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> biomass, yeah. uh, wind, and solar. But there's a fourth, far better technology available that it pretended that doesn't even exist in the world that was mentioned in passing once or twice, I think. And that's nuclear. This right. movie went so far out of its way to pretend that those types of energy don't even exist. That it's not even something that's on the table. And it's probably, in our generation, in our era, one of the safest and one of the most cost-effective ways that we, we could, could produce energy. And leftists just ignore it entirely. It doesn't exist in their world. Yeah. And that's incredibly frustrating. Because as someone who does care about the environment, why are we not talking about this? Like, this isn't 1970s. Like, the, the, the technology is considerably different and considerably better. The likelihood of a Chernobyl type level thing is pretty nil. And I hate to say it, we kind of survived that too, even as awful as that was. Well, so let me come, let me come straight at tell... you as an ANCAP then on that one on the nuclear. Sorry, Anthony, just do it. Um, my main objection to it, I suppose, as a as a libertarian and a free marketeer is the only way... To my knowledge, and I could be wrong in this, um, the, the the industry, the nuclear industry, won't get rid of its own shit. They expect the government to do it for them. And also, they, no private insurance company will underwrite it. So it falls on the taxpayer to underwrite it and insure it. Are those... Are my impressions false there, or I, I I'm gonna be honest. I, I'm not entirely sure. Okay. <laughs> I've, I've, they, they, those those are good questions. Um, yeah. That good being free said, market no, question. absolutely. And that's, yeah. I, 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 I'm not against asking questions. Even when it comes to the wind and the solar, I'm not saying yeah. that those technologies won't ever be there. Like I'm not yeah. saying that they can't be created. The issue is when it's so heavily subsidized by government to try and produce them. I think that they'll they'll be. I mean, they'll be useful 
when they're useful based on human ingenuity, when it tackles those problems that it's able to tackle. Right. No amount of government money ever seems to make things happen faster in my experience. Yes. It's, uh, it happens uh, when they happen. <laughs> there's this idea that if you subsidize an industry, you're going to promote that industry. But like mo most government programs, it can have the complete opposite effect, right? Yeah. Because you're paying them to be inefficient. If they actually have to meet the market standards to be efficient, there's more of an incentive there to improve the technology so you can make a profit out of it. Of course, all forms of energy have received massive subsidies, including the fossil fuel industry. And that's where I was going next. It was built on the nuclear industry was absolutely built on government subsidies. Um, in the, at the beginning so but there, there's quite a few points but that then that, sorry sorry that would tend to contradict what you just said previously well, how about, how, of, oh i mean i, I mean initially uh, um i don't know i don't know how much it goes on but i mean they wanted to get it on the ground because they wanted to offset the cost of getting weapons grade yeah um materials to make nuclear bombs yeah, it was, a, it was so an afterthought that. really and energy was an afterthought to oh yeah happen. right yeah. so there's quite a few questions that i want to put to nick right uh, one of one of them is well, well, real quick i, I did yeah. i don't want to finish up here so real quick the big thing is so you, you can talk about subsidization but i don't want to ignore the fact that the largest army uh, that has ever existed on planet earth is required to protect all those oil fields out in the middle east and let's not ignore that in the cost equation of how much the fossil fuel industry is subsidized we have literally no idea what it would cost to produce fossil fuels because of how much money the entire world order maintained to keep it working yeah. is cost to our, my my country in particular <laughs> yeah so okay. i just want to make sure i get that in there that's very true you know we're at the mercy of oil cartels that could be broken up and you know it could be a lot more efficient a lot cheaper and cleaner to 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 extract oil coal and gas if we didn't have these government-backed monopolies mm-hmm so sorry about anthony i just want to make sure I finished no, sorry. Yeah. yeah so what we're saying is basically you need a, a free market to be able to see the relative costs and benefits of each of these different kinds of energy and all these interventions into the economy just blur the lines and make it impossible for us to see truth from falsehood when it comes to how we should be providing our own energy so one of the major um criticisms leveled at solar power that I agree with is it seems to take tons and tons of room. Um, the cost has been coming down and the efficiency has been going up. But what I'm really interested to hear, Nick, is what are your thoughts on these solar powered roof tiles? Because they obviously aren't going to take any more extra space, uh, whereas big fields of solar panels do. Are they Will they? Do you? Can you see them being useful? One hundred percent. Like th those are the kind of technologies I actually like. I, like I said, I'm not against these technologies. To be against these technologies, yeah. I just don't think they're ready yet. Like where they're, it's the idea of trying to force them to take over when they're not prepared to take over. I I absolutely say, give, thinking given another fifty to one hundred years, maybe sooner, like those technologies can be made viable. They're going to be made smaller. They're going to, like, for all I know, 50 years from now, we're going to have a coat of paint you can slap on the outside of your giant concrete building 
and turns your entire building into one giant, uh, you know, solar panel. But we're not there yet. We're okay. we're there where we're still running it, like you said, fifteen I, to twenty percent efficiency on things. I, I think that I, I personally, I'd rather see our roofs made into gardens than solar right, cool. farms. But that's a thing I'd rather see. <laughs> right, but here the the interesting thing is we can tell the technology is not there. Uh, this is something that the left don't understand because people haven't adopted it. It's like if I knew that I could put solar panel tiles on my roof and it was going to eliminate my electricity bill or even get me a bit of money, not only would I do it, and when I say I, I mean one, anyone, not only would people start doing it, they'd be going around to their neighbors shouting about it. Do you know what I mean? It's obviously not there because it's not been widely adopted yet. That well, is some, oh, tell me if I'm wrong. No, that you, you, on net, you're, you're correct. But let's not pretend that some of the games that aren't played by giant corporations that have monopolist industries, where they'll buy up technologies okay, and then fl- then hide them. Um, if you watch that Need to Grow documentary we talked about, and like look at some the that green powerhouse and what that thing managed to do, and then how it burned in a fire, a, a oh, building wow. full of, a, a building full of water. Meanwhile, the furnace is still standing and looks untouched next to it. I'm not saying that someone, you know, had a vested interest to make sure that technology never comes out, but we know people have a vested interest to make sure the technologies don't come out and shit happens. I think that there's a lot of technologies that may not ever see the light of day, even if they are useful. The, the, the main population gets out and realizes that. I think you're absolutely right, but there's a heck of a, a heck of a market incentive to keep those technologies from ever getting to that point. So, you know, I, I, as much as I'm against subsidizing green energy, uh, you said I'm very much against subsidizing the fossil fuel industry, propping that up, which I think we still do. So the big thing is, is we don't have any idea what any of the energy we use costs or costs because it's so intertwined into other other costs of our culture and it's very frustrating from for me you may be you may be right you know technically in a free market that is exactly how that would happen but we don't have it (laughs) okay well that's a very valid point so could you tell us a little bit since you touched upon it already how nuclear energy has evolved since the days of chernobyl and even comment on the explosion that happened in uh, fukushima uh, I'm going to be honest, Fukushima scares the hell out of me, and I'm not as educated on it as I want to be. I remember when it happened, and then I remember how we just stopped talking about the fact that we've done nothing about it. It's been leaking nuclear waste into our uh, our oceans for, oh, what's it been now, almost 10 years? That terrifies me. Um, what I will say is, to a degree, the world seems to have gone on. Uh, so you have to wonder about how damaging all these things that they've told us to be terrified are. Maybe they are damaging us more than we have. You know, we still really haven't seen is my generation all going to die of cancer. You know, is that how it's going to work? 
Can you comment on why they build those uh, nuclear reactors on a fault line? There is actually a reason for it because a layperson would say, "Why are you Why are you building that where there's likely to be earthquakes and volcanoes? That's crazy." But actually, it's something to do with the way they cool the reactors or something like that. Well, th- I mean, that's the reason they built them on the ocean. I know that because they have all that water ready and available to get to the reactors and cool them. They don't need to pump it in; it's just right okay. there. That's that's the way I understood it. But the thing to understand is that we're also talking about reactors that when that, that should have been decommissioned many, many years ago. They're about three generations outdated when they, when they actually had the issues. So like they were the top of the line technology back in like the nineteen seventies and then had not updated any of their systems like as the technology became available. Like they're a solid 30 years behind all of the technology that's powering France right now. Cause France, from what I understand is way up on the nuclear and yeah. they've been safely using it for decades now. And I, I believe it does produce a large portion of their energy in their country well, because they are so concerned with green technology. You know, yeah. Britain in fact takes a lot of energy from France. Um, so while we slap ourselves on the back for going terribly green, we are in fact, importing energy from huge oil consuming nations like Russia and from nuclear nations like France, you know, uh, which is not widely publicized, but it's what we do. Uh, And I think even Germany was in the process of shutting down its its, uh, nuclear reactors, but I think is now considering reactivating them. But as I understand it, there is this, this three major nuclear disasters mm-hmm. that everybody talks about. Chernobyl is obviously the, 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 the very worst and the, the biggest of, of them all. Uh, there's the, the Fukushima one, and there's also, is it uh, Three Mile Island in, uh, in, in yeah. the US? But Three Mile Island, was pre- there's no deaths involved whatsoever in that, as far as I know, not in the, the first instance. Maybe people died years later, I have no idea. And then the Fukushima one... Was there any actual deaths in Fukushima or, or, or was the death rate minimal? I don't know. Uh, Fukushima, from what I understand, it, it did have, it, it had a cost on the surrounding areas. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it was like anyone immediately dying. I think there is a lot of people are going to die prematurely because of it. Yeah. That's the way I understand that. Yeah. I don't want to point out, I have to point out like the massive, massive government involvement in all of these projects, probably the most of which would be, you know, <laughs> um, Chernobyl. Which, and if anybody's yeah. not watched that documentary or the film that they did about it, it's a really, really engaging film. Yeah. Uh, I recommend checking it out. It's, it's a little depressing. <laughs> but mm-hmm. if, you, if you're on the fence about how much you like governments, let me tell you, <laughs> you won't be afterwards. Yeah, but we know that wasn't real communism. It wasn't real socialism. You know, God, God forgive us if we ever saw that. <laughs> that would yeah. never have happened. Yeah. What so. we saw was real people reacting yeah, to what real people yeah, do with definitely. real incentives. Yeah. So it seems to me there's a lot of wishful thinking amongst critics. You know, they want green energy what's called green energy, but turns out not to be green energy. They want these renewables like wind and solar to be more efficient, uh, to be efficient enough to power us. And to be honest, I want that too. I like the idea um, of us being able to live in harmony with nature. I don't know if um, 
global warming is man-made. I'm skeptical. Uh, I, I'm skeptical of the idea that the Earth cannot adapt to absorb the extra carbon because from what I'm seeing, you know, trees love carbon and they can and they pump it into greenhouses. We, and we and, seem to be doing make, really good here on Earth with all that carbon in there. A lot right, better than yeah. we were doing 100 years ago or 200 years ago. Yeah. Right, okay. Well, I mean, that's again, that's uh, we've got a lot more rich uh, over those last 200 years. I believe in technology and I believe that if there's going to be solutions, I know a lot of people in the green movement are like, oh, they just want more technological solutions to problems that are created technology by technology. And I'm like, dude, that's how like civilization has worked always, right? So, you know, we killed, we, I don't know, we killed, we started fishing and that was great, but then we fished too many fish. So we needed to learn to do something else. Everything we do creates problems and human ingenuity has the, uh, the ability to react to those problems. Uh, and I just think that that's the, that is the force of life. That is the for, force of the universe. That's how evolution operates, you know, and 100% that is the literally the entire premise of free markets, green earth. It's to point out the fact that human ingenuity seems to have done really, really good so far. And yeah. it, the, the thing is, it just doesn't deal with problems before it needs to deal with problems because that's how human beings work. I've, I've heaped a lot of praises on this movie, obviously, but the, I do want to push back. And, and the pushback that I personally will give is so when you're talking to these people, and they give you these dire, horrible, you know, oh my God, humanity is going to end. And then the question I ask is, do you think humanity is capable of doing so much damage to the planet that it doesn't bounce back? Like, do you think that we're even remotely capable of doing that? Do you, or yeah. do you think that we'll kill ourselves off for whatever way we do, and then eventually nature will do what nature does, and everything exactly. will... We're, well, we're, not turn, we're not going to turn... <laughs> We're not going to turn planet Earth into Venus, you know, no matter how much carbon we put into the atmosphere. Exactly. So, uh, but what would you so say? So why not to let us people? see how far we can go? Why, so why do we, if, if the end result is okay. us dead either way, let's not, why, why don't we see how right. great we can make it for us before that happens? What do you say yeah. to people who would say, but Nick, you say, you know, human ingenuity doesn't, um, respond to these problems unless it has to but that's a bug not a feature because you know we we don't see the like if someone holds a knife to your throat you see the immediate threat if it's like vaguely sometime off in the distance 20 30 years by now from now then um then people people don't respond to that but they need to because we need to take action now i say it's horseshit <laughs> absolute and utter horseshit because if you look at any first world industrializing nation, we've all gotten better at this. We inve we've invented things to put on our smokestacks. Granted, they make products more expensive, but they make it so we don't have to pump our fucking skies full of carbon. Like they, these, these things exist. You look at things like the, the green power plant out there, which turns, turns its carbon from uh, biomass into, you know, carbon that goes into your soil where yeah. it belongs to help grow your plants. It, 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 that, like, that one in particular I love because one of my big sticking points is just what the, what the fossil fuel industry has done to uh, our soil. Because that is something I do see as being a real problem, being exasperated by huge monopolies created by our government. I'll, I freak out about like, how we should be doing our farming industry differently. But I'm not going to sit here and say, like, 
anything that we would do to change the farming industry short of, you know, wanting to kill a ton of people. Like we can't just make farming less productive. We have to do it in a way that's going to allow people to thrive. You know, I'm not Bill Gates out here saying, you know, oh, we need the whole population of the world to shrink. Clearly the world has managed to survive the population. And when it stops being able to produce enough, we'll stop procreating because there won't be enough food for us. The same way it happens to a deer population out in the middle of New York state, the same way it happens to any other animal in the environment. And that's one of the things that I find, find ridiculous is that like, especially when you talk to the left, they, they, they have these two positions that they want to completely ignore. And they kind of want to ignore the fact that they'll sit there and talk like we're, we're part of nature and how we're going to affect nature, but they want to ignore how we're part of nature when every other species functions exactly like we do. It grows until its food source is not able to sustain itself. Yeah. Like that's how every other animal population works. And they freak out. Like it's it's just frustrating because I don't I it's it's hard to follow any train of logic because there, there kind of no isn't one. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I mean exactly. the logic is we have this feeling that we're doing something terrible to the planet and I want that feeling to go away. And the only way is to say, why doesn't the government do something about it? And I I mean, I think it's psychological. Um I mean, for myself, I still note it, you know, when I was in, I was kind of like my mom grew up really poor, right? So she had this thing about not throwing things away and not wasting things. And um but the thing is, she'd make exceptions wherever it was suited her. <laughs> uh, so typical. Uh, of but, but the thing is, it really... Of ended- your mum or just women in general? <laughs> well, I'll leave that to the discretion of the audience because it was deliberately ambiguous. Decentralized Revolution is a new podcast from the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus. Our goal is to revolutionize the LP by focusing on Austrian economics, radical political decentralization, and by supporting strong local candidates. On Decentralized Revolution, we talk about these ideas in long-form interviews with the most interesting people in the libertarian movement, people like Dave Smith, Scott Horton, Maj Touré, and Jacob Hornberger. If you're ready to take human action with us, check out Decentralized Revolution. Hi folks, Dan Reed here, the host of the Culinary Libertarian Podcast. During the show's tenure, I've spoken to celebrated authors of baking and economics. I've chatted with bakers and chefs and libertarians alike to introduce you to people who provide a mix of ideas to build your skills in the kitchen, as well as tempt your appetite toward liberty. Type culinarylibertarian.com slash podcasts into your browser search bar and subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. I look forward to hearing from you. So, so for, but the stressfulness of being able to be chided, you know, by my mom for any time for not doing something right entered me and I started to um, apply it consistently. And I didn't want to take out tinfoil to put it in the oven because it would be a waste of tinfoil. And uh, when I was in university, even though uh, I, I would, I don't think there's anything wrong with this, but I mean, it's not going to save the world. You know, I'd write all of my notes on um, scrap paper that people printed out on an error because they, you know, in the, in the library, and I just wrote my notes on the back of it. I still do it, actually. Um, you know, I grab napkins off, tab- off, off tables and uh, shops and cafes, you know, if, if someone had just abandoned them so as not to waste them. So it entered me psychologically. And even though I recognize that this is, like, psychologically motivated, it's hard to 
like click yourself out of it. Um, to the degree that it's, you know, it's not hurting anyone. It's it, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, there's nothing wrong yeah. with saving, saving, not use napkins, but um, so so that they don't get wasted. But um, when you think about the fact that one pizzeria is um, wasting more cardboard boxes and napkins every day, then you, you then if you did that your whole life, you would save. It kind of puts your your impact as an individual into perspective, which is why well, we I use think, our pizza boxes in our garden. So. Uh, great, you use that to, to compost. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, my wife's been doing what I think is called a lasagna gardening to help recreate the soil in our backyard. You know, you do a layer of uh, cardboard. Brilliant. It kills the grasses underneath it, and then you put on, you know, the 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 compost as you get, it. and eventually that cardboard's just more carbon in the the, the ground. Oh man, so, I, I I and I just took two pizza boxes out to the blue bin this morning. But, I should have brought them I want over you, to my dad's house for his garden. I want you to think about what you just said, and this is one of the things that like. You, you and me, and I, I presume Tom are all—we're probably the worst. The worst man. We're these hardcore capitalists over here. We are, we are big business loving, hardcore capitalists. Yeah, and we and wipe here our we ass are, in hundred dollar bills yeah. and light up cigars with fucking yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Do you know why I love and here shopping in Primark so much? I just like to know that my three-pound slippers were made by the blood, sweat, and tears of starving Indonesian children. <laughs> it just makes them so much more comfortable to wear. Uh, don't even get me started, Anthony. We're going to have to have you on uh, Peace Freak so we can talk about your your episode on uh, capitalists the other day. Uh, okay. But but my point being is that so we're supposed to be those people that yeah. don't care about the environment, that don't care about any of this. And and yet here we are having a discussion about specifically that. And I don't think at any point in here one of you guys has said, ah, fuck nature. We're gonna we're gonna pave the entire damn thing. That's not a discussion. I, I do suspect that Tom having. secretly thinks it though. I do think <laughs> <laughs> No, but why don't um why dislike is Gaia worship? Right? I, I don't like this idea that look, Mother Nature is a fucking cunt. Okay. <laughs> it's not she hates this us. It, it, it so it's not this benign thing, okay? Bubonic plague, this idea that things that are man-made are bad and things that are natural are good. Well, you know, uh, right bubonic, there. Pl- bubonic plague is completely natural, you know. Um, well, you're you're giving into them already. I got, I'm going to tell you this: you're 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 already giving them more credit than they deserve. Right. The whole idea of anything, quote unquote, natural versus unnatural. We did an episode way back when we started Free Market Screen Earth about this. Okay. Called the most uh, the most endangered, most dangerous invasive species. Right. You know, dun dun dun, mm. man. Why is anything that human beings do unnatural? I said this we, we are an yet. we are an animal that goes out and recreates our environment as best we can to be more yeah. suitable for us. Yeah. Now, granted, we're really, really good at it, better than anything yeah. in history ever seems to have been. But why is it that we get to declare what we do, doing a process that every other creature does? Why is it unnatural when we do it well, versus this was the point i was going to make there is absolutely nothing unnatural about six lanes of freeway it's what we do there is no difference in my mind between us building a suspension bridge and a beaver building a dam exactly you know it, it's it's what you know or, or a bird and, and building a nest 
A beaver doesn't even have the ability to consider the externalities to its environment of building in a dam. Whereas humans are actually starting to think, oh, should we really be doing this and trying and trying to assess things? Now they may err, and usually when government gets involved, it, it fudges the incentives and encourages us to err. But in a state of nature, we are likely to want to consider the wider consequences of what we do, especially when we're wealthy. When we're in poor countries, you just do whatever you need to do to survive. People come to me all the time and say, oh, well, what about when they chop down the Brazilian rainforest? Well, for one thing, what the fuck else are Brazilian people going to do to make money other than cut down the rainforest? Because they don't have a free economy where they can make money by trading and building up well, other industries compared to relatively developed nations. Well, what I would argue in that case is are Brazilian people cutting down their forests or are mar- large multinational corporations mm-hmm. cutting down their forests, whether or not they give a damn? Yeah, And exactly. those are things that I think are important. Like, don't... Yeah. Let's not get it so twisted. That's a that's that's a whole lot of non-voluntary human interaction there that like well, I would I mean, like that, to do away with. That's the other, that's the other side of the coin, which is that these are countries where where they don't have strict respect for property rights. Yeah. So even exactly. if a, even if a charity wanted to go into Brazil and say, right, we've got tons of donations, we're going to buy up the Amazon and not cut it down. They wouldn't. The, the the government would still sell off the logging rights after the charity bought the land. That's why they yeah. don't do it. Well, so, a lot, so a lot of this land as well, maybe not as much as uh, on the fossil fuel side of things, but as that documentary demonstrated as well, that you know much of this land is being cleared for biofuels and and biomass. You know, like uh, stuff, sugarcane. Yeah. Um, Sugar beets, you know, if there's, there's, I don't think there's anything that, that will deplete a soil uh, in the way that sugar beet will because you can't grow jack shit in there for a few years after you've grown sugar beet because it depletes the soil quality so much. You keep saying sugar like it's not one of the most subsidized things in yeah, the world. Yeah. My government, yeah. like, there's so much like- fucking money to sugar, it's insane. And all that government money for corn ethanol, which was completely inefficient as well. And why, all- why are we why are we subsidizing sugar yet at the same time telling people it's bad and taxing it? What's the point of subsidizing it on the one hand and then taxing it on the other? Why well, not I mean, just stop subsidizing it and that will force them to look for alternatives? Well, uh, don't go making sense there, Dan. Well, the thing is, it totally makes no sense if you don't understand point, um, public choice theory as a branch of economics, because there's a, you know, there's a group of people who benefit from the subsidies and fight to defend their subsidies, and there's another group that wants to tax it, that fights to tax yeah. it. So, uh, on a flippant, uh, the other side of the coin of what you mentioned about sugar beets is one one thing that I always found really interesting, which is industrial hemp is illegal. And the industrial hemp is the opposite of sugar beets. It improves the soil. And a lot of the time when forests have been cut down, what they say is a good thing is to grow industrial hemp for a few years and then start replanting the trees because they'll grow better. It's also one of the fastest biomass to, sorry, CO2 to biomass converters. So if they really believed in reducing yeah. The carbon in the air, then they legalize industrial hemp. It can take the carbon out of the air, then you can process it into oil and rope and paper and all sorts of things. But yeah, and you're, no, we're not allowed to do that. 
Well, you move, uh, see, and that's one of the things that makes this even more complicated is just because you're following human incentives. I'm going to be honest. I don't know any lefty that wouldn't be completely ecstatic about growing hemp. Right. So right. now we're getting into the fact that there are differences Competing in what governments desire, you know, and what people want. So uh, let me the, ask you a question. Can you can you comment a little bit more on biomass uh, and its coverage in the film and anything that you know that we don't basically teach us? <laughs> you, oh, well, it's honestly, honestly, uh, biomass is not something that I paid a whole lot of attention to prior to this movie. I didn't realize that it was maybe as widespread as it is. So that was something that was really interesting to me was just, I learned a heck of a lot more about that one. Usually I focus on, you know, uh, nuclear you know and and complain about the other two so i I think that a lot of so much of this movie was just weird in the the omissions and and it it happens like in the way the movie presented things but it also happens the fact that that's been almost omitted from my worldview that i Mm. wasn't even aware that that was going on to the degree it was right so and i think that's part of the issue that we face with all of this is that Oh, so much of this happens uh, with people that we're not we're not privy to those conversations. Like we, most people don't think about how their power is generated. They just think that hey, my shit lights up when I want it to light up. Mm-hmm. And you know, even as somebody who's really interested in the topic and, and and follows it to a degree, that was kind of completely a blind spot to me. So it means they're really not talking about that one. Mm. And yet, it's kind of in the background behind all of this, apparently. But, so but it, it seems like it has been roundedly criticized, roundly criticized by the environmental movement as well. I was on the Wikipedia page chat and um, uh, there was a line on the Wikipedia page for this movie that said it has been widely criticized for its inaccuracies that had no footnotes at all. Whereas the previous line that said um Something else had three footnotes, and I went on the talk page and I said, "This is just prejudice. You can't, you know, throw a line in there without footnoting it." But that those people, those they're always the people who are like members of their local skeptic society. You know, the people who are skeptical about everything except for their own dogmas, well, and well, you, they just dominate you. The, the the person who put the line in is somewhere high up in the Wikipedia food chain, and there's no objectivity to it. But one thing it did say is it's been noted for its fair criticisms of biomass. So they, so the, those kind of more mainstream intellectuals seem to think that its criticisms of biomass are valid. Sorry there, Nick. Well, there's actually a, 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 there's a, a point I want to bring out that it, it really shows the cognitive dissonance of the, right. uh, the, the director. In the very beginning of the movie, he talks specifically about how excited he was to create his home out in the hills and, and be yeah. completely disconnected from everything and how he, you know, would completely heat his house, his home by wood. And yet we get to the two thirds way through the movie and he's railing against using trees for energy. Uh, and, and, the, and, and, and not noticing that, like, but, but what you were choosing to do living out in your home was burn trees for energy. Your home was made out of trees. Like they, they never make that connect mm, that, mm. that the whole thing is, the whole thing is about energy and it doesn't matter if you're burning it to heat yourself, which is by the way, incredibly fucking inefficient. 
Yeah, that's what I was just yeah. thinking. I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure when they burn a tree in a biomass converter, they try and suck every every little um sit, bloody hell, I can't even remember joule of energy they can out of it. Whereas if you just do it in your fireplace, you're not going to burn it efficiently. So they they'll they will be more efficient. I did not love seeing those stacks and stacks of trees being being felled and thrown into it, though I have to admit. Um, well, but but yeah, um, sorry, go on. Tim. Yeah, th- this is another. I mean, you, the, it was defined earlier as horseshit. At least horseshit can be used as manure. I think it's worse than that. It's dog shit. It's completely toxic as well, you know. Um, to come out and say somehow, okay, if a tree falls over and dies, and the forest, does, it, yeah, and, does it make a sound? Michael Moore's not there to make a documentary about it. No, if, if it falls over, dies, goes into the ground, fossilizes for a few thousand years, then we dig it up and burn it incrementally so that it releases its energy a lot slower and you can burn little pieces of it for longer. That's bad. But if you chop the same tree down and just burn it, that's good. Well, there is a rationale for that. Okay, Um, go for it. I'm not saying it. What they're saying (laughs) is the trees are basically part of the regular kernel... um, carbon cycle anyway whereas when you take the coal you're taking ancient fuel um that's that's not part of the cycle going round and round quickly and um if you believe in the global warming hypothesis that's um that stands to reason from their world view that that would be worse still sounds like dog shit to me but then i'm not an so i want to get so i want to give you some homework here tam okay. i want you to go and i want you to look up the need to grow documentary okay um and the reason like it's it's interesting that they kind of came out in a similar time to me or at least that i discovered them in a similar time the whole documentary is about this uh the, the green powerhouse i've mentioned a couple times and Essentially, it's a closed system where it, it, it burns biomass. Like, that's what it does. Okay. Now, it burns that biomass, but as opposed to releasing it into the air, it, it releases the carbon straight into an algae system. That's cool. And, fuck. and, and so the idea, when they're doing the documentary, and, and you know, please, if people know more about this, that you want to contact me, absolutely do. I'm always about learning. But it, it definitely confirms my biases about technology because the idea behind the whole project is that he's created a closed system and they, they ask him so, so what you're doing is essentially 400 years worth of work by burning the biomass and then getting it back in the carbon because you're getting it back in the ground because that's the problem it's not the fact that we we have a system where we burn carbon. It's the fact that we throw it into the air as opposed to putting it back into the soil. So if you find a way to do that by getting it back into the soil, say the technology this guy invented, that's that's a game changer. Like that's that makes things so much different in our, 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 our for, for us for everything. Like that's a way. Okay, so if we now have a way to generate power and create help reinforce our soil, kind of all in the same thing, then. Why wouldn't we be doing that? So yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> so one thing is, you said the guy sounded said how excited he was to move um, to this home where he'd be self sufficient and um, burn fire to heat it and stuff like that. 
And I have to say, at no point during the documentary did he ever sound excited about anything. If there's one thing <laughs> the critics really got right about this documentary is he had a boring ass voice. He didn't even try. And clearly, I thought that at first, but I got used to it. Well, the thing is, I just wonder why no one on the team said, dude, can you put a little bit of color into your narration? Like, why don't you use several pitches with your voice maybe and found, make it maybe sound just, interesting? Maybe he just tried to sound authentic, you know. Well, he sounded authentically boring as fuck. <laughs> don't don't you preach the Stoics here, brah? Come on. Me? Like, you, you know, you, know you got to hate for someone that's managed to keep their emotions in check. Well, yeah, I've learned yeah, exactly. a lot about... What kind of therapist you, are you? Yeah, I've learned a lot about the use of my voice. And Would you, uh, would you rather he be manic and freaking out? Yeah. Would yeah, you want to be times. a children's television presenter? Here, so like here honk I, horns every couple of minutes. And, but, so. but, but, I mean, watching the documentary, we all know exactly why he managed to keep that measured tone because he wanted to come off as sounding serious with a yeah. dire message his, because yeah. his message is humanity is fucked. Right. And he wants to impart that to you by sounding as if you know he, he's he going really to sleep yeah, well right yeah but I, I mean i think it, 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 it i got used to the guy's voice i kind of found him quite likable i like me too how, but he's still I, I boring think it, it demonstrated as well how um those people in the in the environmentalist movement do not like to answer awkward questions they, they, they really don't like it. You know, it's uh, when you question the orthodoxy, when you question what is an effect, and they made this point in the documentary, when you question what is an effect, their religion, you know, their Gaia worshipping bullshit, um, they don't they don't like it, you know, and they, they, they attack. I want to, yeah, I want to pick up on a couple of points. One of them is, even supposing the worst was true and this documentary, the technologies they were displaying were 10 to 20 years out of date, it doesn't sure. get away from the fact that they wasted a ridiculous amount of resource. They, they want to say that, oh, yeah, yeah, but the technology is 10 or 20 years out of date, as though that's the thing. Is it 100% efficiency? Yeah. That's all you have to uh, ask. That, no? Okay, that doesn't make any difference. It's still yeah, it's like kind. It, it's basically like, oh, yeah, yeah, but that technology is out of date. And it's like, so what? You're saying that this industry has been trumpeted for 20, 30 years as environmentally friendly when it was clearly a complete waste of resources. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm happy if solar panels take make more energy with less space and less materials. There's one point on the intermittency um, of uh, well, so one of the things is because we have an electrical grid, companies aren't allowed to charge you more money for energy during those times where it's, um, where it's peak use. Yeah. They have to ch charge you the same time, the same amount, right? That, that's one thing, that's one market incentive that would help to deal with the, the intermittency issues if you had to pay more for your electricity depending on where, you, where uh, when you use it. You know, people would put their washing machines and charge their phones and things at night and then that would be less of an issue for... Uh, I'm not saying that it would make wind suddenly viable, but at least it would tip the scales in a way that environmentalists want. I don't hear them talking about that. And I just wanted to mention another thing about the... the well, the, just the, to be clear. Sorry, yeah, go on. 
there are other wind technologies that haven't like haven't been adopted, haven't reached mass market vi- like viability yet, that are far superior as far as like generating purposes. Like the 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 giant space consuming method that we've used so far is most likely not the one that would ever be used. Uh, I might see if you've ever seen vertical like the vertical towers as opposed to the ones that have the actual giant windmill mm. thing. Like it, it, there's I've seen ones that like literally they function by vibrating the tower itself well, and that's okay. what char like there so there's there, there are technologies out there that show promise the point is is that forcing them before they're ready doesn't do any good right right yeah like yeah you know and we need to be able to see like throwing millions of dollars to subsidize these industries throws off that cost the you know the, the cost schedules the show throws off our ability to do a cost benefit analysis because yeah. We're not we're not bearing that burden in a way that we can see. It, yeah. it, you know, uh, any time that we hide the costs means that we don't see the big picture. And I and I that's why I'll say take away subsidies for absolutely everything, so that we can see what our should actually cost. Yes. You know, we might make a different decision. We may sit and we may completely eat our words and say, you know what? When we actually look at all the things that go into subsidizing oil. It's just not worth it. We probably should focus on some of these technologies because, you know, what it, what it costs to keep all those air te- all those you know big t- um, military ships floating around in the East South China Sea costs too much. You know, all those people that we have to f- keep over in the Middle East, yeah, that makes that cost too much to bear. Mm. But we don't. But because the, we can't show that equation, it's too complicated an equation. We can't get down to the real core of it. We can't do a simple cost-benefit analysis because there's too many costs that we're forced to pay that we don't know about. Yeah, that's a good word. And I just wanted to make one point on that. The documentary was very critical of replacing coal with natural gas. Now, I do think it's not quite clear if natural gas is less CO2 um, what the fuck is the word, man? What is wrong with me today? I, I don't I don't know if natural gas produces less CO2 than coal does, but it does look like, you know, it doesn't include particulate matter. Like, so there's, we're, you're not getting the um, mercury or nitrous dioxide or sulfur dioxide that tends to come with coal. Actually, a, a step in the direction of, a natural, of natural gas is a step in the direction of all the ways that if you read books like the natural, um, the rational optimist and such like they've been coming out in the last decade about the progress that have been made, they're all keen to cover the ways in which our air and water are getting less polluted. And in many ways, you know, our green cover in Europe and America has massively increased. Um, there, there's lots of good things going on in the environment. We're, we're exposed to less environmental toxins in many ways. Um, and so, so I just wanted to know if you had any comments on natural gas. Um, see, for me, the way that I think about all this stuff is that we have, you have to allow people the choices to make the choice they're going to be. You know, maybe that's the right choice for somebody else. If you if you have a natural gas reserve in your your own country, and you don't have to ship in giant tankers utilizing fossil fuels to get you, you know, oil or coal or whatever it is that you're going to burn instead, it, it may be two or three levels of, uh, you know, 
better for the environment. This like people don't think about the cost of transportation. Like if you can take transportation out of the equation, um, like that's that's what makes things you know. <clears throat> that's something that just people just don't really factor into the equation. So like say I'm sitting in a, a natural gas deposit, and I'm not not going to burn you know as much fuel as it takes to get it to me as I'm going to you know ver- versus the alternative then that's the way to do it and, and that's it that's that's one of those things that like they take as a given in this is that what's good for everyone is is yeah. all one thing yeah and it, any market will tell you that that's not the case like yeah. it's you know i guess that's maybe you could get into the macro like that's just the problem with the left in general is they everything yeah. had there has to be one answer for everything yeah the, and there just the, isn't yeah, the documentary makes certain assumptions uh, as and as, as givens. You know, one it makes obviously the assumption that uh, climate change, global warming, you is is man-made and it's catastrophic. It makes that assumption, and it also makes the assumption that all fossil fuels, be it uh, gas, coal, oil, are all innately bad, and we we have to get rid of them. It doesn't even explore the the, the concept that we could make these fuels that are problematic incredibly more efficient and incredibly cleaner, you know? Um, And as you've mentioned, nuclear, uh, I don't know what you know about thorium. I've heard some people say thorium's viable, you know, we're just not there yet. And then there's other people say, look, you'll never make thorium viable. I I, I really have no idea on that one. But yeah, the, the movie makes certain assumptions that it never really backs up well to say that nothing something would never be viable is the most insane thing you can possibly say the point is is that if you have the if you have the resources and you want to test something why in the world wouldn't they let you test it like people that want to stop innovation scare me far more than you know somebody Mm -hmm. messing up i guess Yep. You know, humanity's pretty good at cleaning up its messes. Yeah. Uh, one thing that you did say that because we're you know we're, you're talking about global warming and and this is something that uh, the way that people talk about it and the, the things that they take for given really really affect um, what what the way that the discourse works. Yeah. So people take it as a given. Like they, we'll talk about the things that are going on in the ocean, and everyone is told that well, global warming is killing the oceans completely ignoring that probably what's going on in the oceans is all of the runoff from every single river on the planet from all of the industrial waste from our farming apparatus. If the pH of your ocean is off, I tend to think it has less to do with absorbed carbon from the air than it does from all of the petrochemicals that we pump into it at an industrial level. Okay. But no one talks about th- those issues. They talk. Well, they talk as if our oceans are screwed up because of global warming, because right. people don't think about like, because the, you basically you're giving your marching orders about what you're allowed to talk about, yeah. and it's incredibly frustrating that yes. it, <laughs> you you can't step out of you know hegemony with, with yes. any other kind of yeah. One of the frustrations that I had with the environmental movement. Uh, when I was kind of moving in this direction, because I used to write quite a lot of um, stuff on free market environmentalism, was the fact that the, and even maybe even before I was a free marketeer, 
uh, it seemed like they would speak about global warming to the exclusion of all other environmental problems that existed. And if anything, it was like a Trojan horse because there's things that we can more easily deal with um, if we have the consciousness to do so, but no one cares to spend their brain energy comprehending it and putting forward comprehensive well, solutions because I don't even think that's it. Let's let's face facts. There is a giant political organization out there that has a very specific plan of action that it wants. And it makes damn sure that we all know what our marching orders are mm-hmm. to help fix the environment. I don't feel like I need to name said organization because it's, you know, the biggest NGO in the world. <laughs> but okay. um yeah. Yeah, if you, I'm being coy, folks. It's United Nations. Yeah. And they've given marching orders to every person on the planet of what they expect. That's what the Greta Thunbergs of the world are out there to do. They're there to make you buy into their particular way of fixing the earth. You're not allowed to deviate from their plan. It doesn't matter if you have a better idea or not because yeah. they already had their idea. So go yeah. along with it. Get in yeah. line. It doesn't well, matter how many people are going to die because of their plan. Sure. You know, because of how expensive it would make energy for the world. But then again, maybe that's the real plan is fewer people on the planet because it seems to be the thing everybody's talking about these days. Let's just make yeah. the earth less populous. Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of people, they, they've come out the woodwork when it came to COVID, you know, and saying this is a great thing. And obviously human beings are the real virus and all the rest of it. But could I ask you, Nick, what was for what, what was your wake up call or what was there a damascine moment for you or was it just a gradual you know what was your journey from uh being a tree hugging uh yeah i'm sure you still hug trees but you probably <laughs> i still consider myself a tree hugger absolutely yeah well what made you go from a tree hugging lefty happy to a tree hugging Capital. i was going to say righty happy but i don't think that you necessarily consider yourself a tree right uh hugging libertarian happy I mean, what's left or right mean anyways? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm as socially liberal as they possibly come. So uh, for me, it, it, the big change in my life, or I guess the only thing that really changed in my life is paying attention to economics. You know, I, I stumbled onto the Tom Woods podcast and, you know, listen to those guys and, and things that always kind of seem to not make sense about, you know, economics all of a sudden started clicking like, Oh, yeah, what is, what's, that, what's that about? And, you know, it's kind of like once you see it, you can't unsee it. That's you know, sad. once you know it's there, like, and you see that people, like the people that, I, you know, you paid attention to and listened to for years are just ignoring, like, entire parts of science, entire parts of history because it suits them to do so. You know, you just, you, you start looking at the world differently and you say, well, sure, that's what you're saying, but where's the proof? And does somebody else have an alternative? Right. It seems like nobody wants the alternatives. They just want someone to give them the answer and then, hey, we'll go along with it. Which, by the way, that's human nature. Like, yeah. it's, on, it's, it's on us to show people that there are other ways. So much of, like, creating the show for me was I got sick of lefties feeling morally superior, you know, when they're arguing. Yeah, I get sick of that. Like, the fact of the matter is, it's like... I want to I, I want to make the world a better place for everybody, hmm. and I don't want to do it at the cost of third world, third world countries. Right. Can you right. say the same? Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, Nick, there's certainly no substitute for you. <laughs> so can I, if can I ask people, one more th- yeah, go oh, on, no, go, crack, on. go on, go on. Anthony. No, no, I was going to close out the show. Oh, well, no, well, just brief before we go. If there's somebody, if there's people out there who stumble across this show and they're currently the, of the tree like hugging left persuasion, I mean, if, if they haven't switched off by now, if there's some seeds of doubt in their mind and they're they're thinking, yeah, you know, I I, I get that there's problems with the environmental movement, but I want to see some evidence. I want to. What would you recommend? Would you recommend? Is there any particular book? Any particular? Obviously, your own podcast would be a good start. But free markets, pr- green earth is the name of the well, podcast. I would say go to the liberty or libertyhippiepods.com. Okay. Because I, I present to you the entire uh, libertarian perspective through the eyes of people that don't kind of fit into the the normal binary spectrum. It's it's I created it. It's a a bunch of shows handpicked specifically for i guess the hippie mentality you know we've got a show about the medical benefits of marijuana it's got a free market screen earth is in the feed okay. uh, my own, own show peace freaks which is more of a socially left kind of uh libertarian show the, the idea is i wanted to create is to kind of yeah. be a soft landing for people that do come in from the left and say hey right. It's not all crazy right wing former Republicans because right. that was never me. Well, <laughs> well, I would have, I would have fitted right in four or five years ago, uh, but enough time with Tam has turned me misanthrope, and uh, I'm no longer a liberty happy, but uh, a liberty. I mean, you, you could fool me with your episode talking about how we need to go and kill all the industrialists two weeks ago, whatever it was. But you know, whatever, we'll we'll address that when we address it. We will. Kill them humanely. Uh, well, maybe. And is, is, is there a particular book that, you, you've, you, that you've read that you were impressed with in terms of that, that um, kind of... Con- come on, man. I'm, I'm, I'm in my mid-30s. I grew up on YouTube. Yeah. Who the hell reads books anymore? <laughs> yeah. okay. I, I'm saying that there isn't really... There, as far as I can see, there isn't a really great recent libertarian... Um, introduction to libertarian environmentalism as far as I can see I picked up some older books and yeah. there's some things that are um, tangential uh, yeah yeah there's yeah. So, some stuff that there's there's bits of books like Healing Our World by Mary Ruart but it's only a couple of chapters um, you know I think that that is a gap that needs to be filled I've okay. started my work does the rational not, optimist touch on it at all? Yes, definitely the rational optimist. There's a book called Ridley. There's a book called Abundance by a guy called Diamandis. It's more than ten years old now, so a lot of the stuff there will be yeah. outdated. I mean, but it I know goes I like through lots and lots of technologies. I know he's updating his book. All right, that's cool. Um, Abundance goes through tons of technologies that may be in the horizon that would significantly reduce our resource usage while um, while being better for the environment. But the funny thing is, it's more than 10 years old and a lot of them haven't emerged yet. So well, what does that say for Just for the record, uh, we naturally reduce our resource usage on a, on a per item basis because if we can cut costs on how we yeah, produce yeah, it, of course we're what, going to. It's going to happen yeah. innately. I and think the book, the, the book More From Less just recently came out that's all about that how we've reduced our resource usage you can check out the author on youtube 
I mean, you can read Steven Pinker. I mean, he's got stuff on that in his books where he's, you know, trying to prove how much better the world is than it used to be. It's a very optimistic look at how much we've, how, it basically, it breaks down by the numbers, all of the things that people think are worse, but are actually better about the world from where they were 50 years ago. Um, the Moral Case for Fossil Fuels by Zach Epstein is, okay. a, is a, a good book. I, I, Zach, I always kind of take with a... Uh, it's Alex, isn't it? Or Alex, sorry, yeah, oh, Alex Epstein. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Um, I always kind of take him with a grain of salt just because I realize he is a product of the energy industry. Yes. And so, you know, it's with anything. I, you know, pay attention to who's saying what because what's their agenda? What's the point? I, I would encourage you to do the same things about me. You know, yeah. pay attention to what my motivations are. Are. You know, I make no bones about it for me. I, I just think that human ingenuity presents opportunities that focusing on a, the destructive power of humans. But will... you're, you're just secretly on the pay of human genius. You can't pay <laughs> all that money, the fossil fuel industry and the nuclear industry. God, is, God I would love it. it if they'd start sending me checks. That'd be great, please. Well, you, Nick, Think um, about how I feel. I've got to go out and do a shitty job just to hide the fact that the fossil fuel industry is pumping all this money into my bank account. <laughs> I go out every day and could get shot at my job so that I can, you know, shill for whoever I'm shilling for. Right, well, Nick, you've been a fantastic and very cool. podcast is a proud creation of the Mad Audio Lab. For more information, check out madaudiolab.com. Free Markets Green Earth is part of the Liberty Hippie Podcast Network. If you like what we do, be sure to check out Homesteads and Homeschools, Peace Freaks, Cannabis Heals Me, and This Week in Liberpods. We're living proof that libertarian doesn't mean washed up Republican.